Extra Daily Planet Extra. I'll take that as a yes. What? The ring. That's the opposite of what the saying is. Divided. We are not enough. The world needs Superman. I made him a promise. Why I brought you together. Ride ain't over yet. I'm mad. That's your. Oh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. Yeah, that's that's what that means. It's so cool. Hey, everybody! Welcome to episode 15 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to look at Justice League, the fifth film in the DC Extended Universe of Films. Even though they're saying that's not the real name now, and it will be the third appearance of Superman in the uh, in the series. The uh, first was Man of Steel in 2013, followed by last year's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, and and now he's making his third appearance in the series in Justice League. So I'm going to get to my thoughts on the film in the next uh, few segments, but I do want to start off by saying I really enjoyed the film. I don't believe it was the best of the DCEU films so far, but it's definitely up there. Wonder Woman remains in the number one slot, and it might take a few more viewings to determine whether or not this... Uh, this film knocks Man of Steel uh, out of the number two spot or not. Right now, in my mind, Justice League and Man of Steel are, are fighting for number two. Obviously, I've seen Justice League a little more recently, you know, yesterday morning, uh, for example. And that is, you know, fresher in my mind. And there were some moments in Justice League that I really liked that will probably end up putting it over the top of Man of Steel. But I will say that the bottom two still remain Batman v Superman and 
Suicide Squad. You know, I can watch Batman v Superman, but Suicide Squad just gets worse every time I watch it. Sad to say, because that film started off with, uh, you know, so much promise and uh, such an interesting set of characters. It just gets dull every time I watch it. So, But before I get to any other thoughts on Justice League, I want to uh, address some feedback that I have received. The uh, first bit of feedback, and only bit of feedback really, regarding Man of Screen Extra, is from Dave McElvenny. And Dave is writing in on episode 14, in which I talked about the extended cut of uh, Superman the movie, which was released in early October. I mentioned before, and it'll bear repeating again, that I do not plan to cover the extended cut of the movie kind of on its own as an extra episode, as I don't really want to step on any toes when it comes to my regular coverage of Superman the movie when I get there. Sometime in 2018, I believe. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I'm glad that you're looking forward to the extended TV cut of Superman the movie. I'm not heavily into extended cuts or director's cuts or things of that sort, although I do generally like to see things like deleted scenes. I agree with you that it's unfortunate the only available version of Superman 2 is the so-called Donner version rather than the actual theatrical version. I'm gonna stick Dave on pause there for a minute. I don't believe that the Donner cut is the only version of Superman 2 out there. I believe uh, the disappointment that I expressed was in that big Batman and Superman Blu-ray set that the only version of Superman 2 that was available on that was the Donner cut, which is not a complete film. You can still find the original theatrical cut of Superman 2 pretty easily. So it's not like um, the original Star Wars movies that once George Lucas made his special editions that the original versions disappeared. It's still out there to be found. Superman 2's Lester cut is still the preferred version of the movie and the only complete version of the movie. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this later on. I hope Justice League doesn't kind of suffer a similar fate to Super- that Superman 2 does, but more on that later. Anyway, back to Dave. You're right that the Donner version is not a, really a complete movie, and whether people like it or not, the Lester version is a complete movie. But the powers that be don't listen to guys like me. They don't listen to me either, Dave. It makes sense that you want to hold off on any detailed commentary until you get to the Christopher Reeve movies in your projected schedule. I'm looking forward to hearing your episodes discussing those movies. And I should really take Dave to task right here, and you know what? I'm going to give him a little grief anyway. He spelled Christopher Reeve's name with an S. I gotta point that out, Dave. It's Christopher Reeve and George Reeves. You know, Dave, I expect better of you. Now, you're going to have to go go in your room and write Reeve like a hundred times until, until you've uh, got it right. Back to Dave. Thanks for your thoughts and anticipation of this release. I'll tune in to whatever comes up next on the Man of Screen Extras, and I'll be listening to your regular podcast coverage of the Filmation cartoons as that continues. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. So, as always, I would like to thank Dave for his feedback, and I really don't have anything else to add to what Dave wrote. That is the only feedback I have addressing any Man of Screen Extra. That's the only letter I have regarding any Man of Screen Extra topic, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and I'm going to lead into my Justice League discussion with a little bit of a uh, background and uh, maybe a little bit of a non-spoily review in case uh, you're coming across this episode and uh, you haven't seen it, the movie yet. So, hang around, folks. Justice League International, Bwahaha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon 
Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right. Welcome back, folks. So, Justice League. It was a very long road. That got us to this point. And now that it's here, it almost feels anticlimactic. I mean, we started with Man of Steel in 2013, and we all remember all the wars after the ending where Superman broke Zod's neck in the climactic battle. And then there was Batman v Superman, which was ravaged by critics and fans alike. There were fans of that movie, to be sure, but the overwhelming consensus is that it was a bad movie. I don't necessarily think it was a horrible movie per se. It wasn't what I was looking for, definitely not. And if I had the reins, I might have done something a little bit different if I want if I was uh, determined to shove Batman into my uh, into the second film of my Superman series. So, two movies in, the DCEU was already reeling just a little bit. Then we got Suicide Squad, which was just an absolute mess. I mean, it was the editing issues regarding Suicide Squad have been well documented and you know, I said when I did my episode on Suicide Squad that if you give me a lot of character that I like, I'll forgive you some plot deficiencies. I've watched Suicide Squad three times now, twice since I saw it on Blu-ray, and, you know, it just gets harder for me to watch that movie every time I look at it. Dave McElvenny mentioned in his letter in the previous segment that he's not a big fan of, of director cuts and extended editions, and I did a rewatch of uh, the four DC, previous DCEU films leading up to Justice League, and when it, when it came time to watch Suicide Squad in my uh, online bundle, I chose the extended version. Maybe next time I go into the wanting to watch Suicide Squad, I will go with the theatrical cut. I, I seem to have liked that a little bit better. Both times I've watched the extended cut, I've had trouble staying awake through it. Which, ironically, has not been a problem for me in BVS because there is a lot to sink your te- teeth into in BVS. Just It's not necessarily what a lot of people, or even myself, really wanted to sink my teeth into. But my thoughts on BBS have been well documented. Although, I did put one thing up on Facebook, and everybody who is welcome to disagree with me. When I looked at the fight between Batman and Superman in BBS, I want to put it on record, and I'm going to say Superman won. He went there with a simple objective that was to get Batman to help him save his mother. That mission was accomplished, despite the fact that he got the holy hell kicked out of him in order to get there. And Lois Lane did have to stop him from getting the kryptonite spear run through him. He accomplished his mission. Bruce did not accomplish his mission. So, kind of a win for Superman there. So, either way, after the struggles of Batman, of Batman v Superman, which made $872 million at the worldwide box office, about 330 if I remember correctly, domestically. So, the film was a financial success. Definitely not a critical one. Suicide Squad 2 raked in the money after getting a beat down at the, uh, by the critics. And I do believe that Suicide Squad deserved the beat down a little bit more than BBS did. But... Wonder Woman seemed to save the universe when uh, she was uh, successful both financially and critically and hope was renewed for the DC Extended Universe. And I still have hope for the DC Extended Universe even though opening weekend numbers indicate that Justice League only pulled in about $96 million which is the lowest of any of the DCEU films. So, And with a strong slate of competition coming out in upcoming weeks followed by uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi in about a month. Justice League has a, a tough road to hoe at the box office to get to any kind of profitable receipts. I was reading somewhere where, you know, just doubling a $300 million budget that the film has to make about $600 million worldwide in order to 
turn a profit. It's about a little less than halfway there with <clears throat> after its first weekend with a 281.5 million worldwide gross. So, you know, if it can get to six, maybe 700, maybe it's got a shot at some, at a, at a decent theatrical run. Maybe it can limp to two, but there are no guarantees. But so the box office, you know, to everyone has to be a great disappointment. And it's a disappointment to me because I want to see more of these films, especially now that they seem to finally get the characters in a way that I'm used to seeing them. This might have been the best Superman I've seen on film since Superman 2, or at the very least since Christopher Reeve. I have, while Superman 3 and 4 weren't necessarily good movies, I do enjoy Christopher Reeve's performance in them. But, you know, Henry Cavill finally got to play the Superman that everybody has wanted to see, and it's so refreshing. Everything I'm seeing on Facebook is positive from my friends in the fandom. I haven't heard from anyone yet who hasn't liked the film. And there are, you know, there are various degrees of liking the film, too. You know, a lot of people are just kind of saying, well, it didn't suck. And others are saying they loved it. You know, I think we all went into this film with a ver- with a degree of trepidation. You know, after, you know, BVS and uh, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman kind of seemed to be insulated from all of the the bad press. I don't, I'm not sure how involved Zack Snyder was in Suicide Squad, but he did have a hand in Wonder Woman, so, and that was as well received as it was, so. I mean, Wonder Woman was just a good film, and this was a good film too, but I think in the eyes of a lot of people in the movie-going audience, both in the fandom and in the general public, Wonder Woman was a highlight of Batman v Superman, and the fact that it, her movie came out so well really drove the box office numbers, and I have to admit, I do believe that Justice League suffered a bit of the lag from Batman v Superman. A lot of people went went into the theater and felt burned by Batman vs. Superman. You know, most people that I talked to hated the movie. You know, that's not going to make them want to run out to the next part. And this is very much the third part of what I'm going to call Zack Snyder's Superman trilogy. And what an ending it was. And one thing I want to wonder as well with regards to the box office, there's been a lot going on in Hollywood with the ver- with the many sexual assault uh, allegations going on against some high-powered executives and actors. You know, you all know the big ones, Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and Dustin Hoffman, just to name a few. There's also been some talk about Ben Affleck doing some uh, some groping about 10 or so years ago with Hillary Burton, I want to say her name was. So I wonder if uh, some of that stuff hurt the box office too. But a lot of stink with regard to uh, people having worked with Weinstein in the past and Affleck took a lot of heat in over the past few weeks too, so I wonder if his getting kind of caught up in any of that hurt the box office as well. I have no data to prove that or disprove that. It's just speculation on my part. But, like I said, chiefly, Justice League is the third part of the trilogy that started with Man of Steel, continued into Batman v Superman, and ended here. As far as the Superman version, you could really consider Wonder Woman to be part of a quadrology here because Wonder Woman's story does pick off pretty much right where it left off at the end of Wonder Woman. But either way, this is Superman's story, the same director, Zack Snyder, as the previous two films. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about what happened with Zack Snyder and his daughter, who was who committed suicide back in March, which eventually caused Zack Snyder to leave the project and for Joss Whedon to finish up the film. And then there was the craziness over Henry Cavill's mustache because he couldn't shave it to due to his contractual obligations to Paramount for the new Mission Impossible film. And just from all the stuff... I was reading online. I had a feeling this film was going to take a beating when it came out. And it did. You know, it took the beating from the critics. Not as much of a beating as Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad did. Their Rotten Tomatoes score was in the 20s. 
as of the, this moment, Justice League's uh, tomato meter seems to have settled at about 39. Earlier today, it seemed to go up to 40 for a few minutes, but it seems to have settled back to uh, 39. And, you know, critics' reviews do go a long way for some people, I guess. Not really for me, personally. The only score on Rotten Tomatoes that I'm really interested in is the audience score. And right now, for Justice League, the audience score is sitting at 85%, which is not bad. It means the people who are liking the movie and... And they're going to Rotten Tomatoes. I know it's a small segment of the audience, but they're expressing their approval. I mean, by comparison, Wonder Woman, which had a much higher critic score than Justice League did, had an 89% audience rating. So Justice League is closer to Wonder Woman than it is to Batman v Superman, which was somewhere in the mid-60s, as I recall, from looking at it earlier today. But I've seen a lot of Facebook posts about this movie since it came out on Thursday night. Most of the people I know are... saying that they liked it, even loved it in some cases. And some of these people are people who hated Batman v Superman with every fiber of their soul. So it's very encouraging to see these people turned around by Justice League. Unfortunately, enough people weren't turned around by Justice League. It I have a hard time saying $96 million is a poor performance, but it's not what executives are hoping for. You have a $300 million budget on the movie, probably more after all the stuff that went down. We want a lot better than a $96 million opening. But I guess it was to be expected after, you know, people kind of put themselves out there for Batman v Superman and were let down. A lot of people were let down by Man of Steel and still gave Batman v Superman a shot. How many times can people get burned and still come back? Maybe people will realize this movie isn't the burn that they think it might be and they'll come to this movie in the next, in the next coming weeks. You know, it's possible that this film might have some extended legs going forward. I don't know how much it could possibly have. I mean, there's a that movie Wonder, which I have know nothing about, is doing very well. That cut into some of Justice League's audience, I don't doubt. And then there's this new Pixar movie called Coco that's coming out that I have absolutely no interest in, that I hadn't even heard of until yesterday. One of the issues with having no cable TV anymore is that I don't see a lot of commercials for upcoming films that I would see otherwise. It's possible, I think, that this film can limp its way to... 200 million domestic before The Last Jedi comes out in mid-December and, and, and annihilates the box office, which it's going to do. A lot of people like the first two Disney Wars movies. I, I still need to be sold a little bit more. But I will say this with regards to The Force Awakens. That film let me down in a way that this film did not. I spent the entire time of my first viewing of The Force Awakens waiting and waiting for Luke Skywalker to kind of show up and uh, help the Resistance take care of Starkiller Base. That never happened. All we got was Luke standing on the uh, on an island like a deer caught in the headlights. It didn't work for me. And J.J. Abrams didn't really work for me. I thought Rogue One was a little better because it hit in that sweet spot of the original trilogy. But, you know, Disney Star Wars still has a lot of ground to make up on for me. But, you know, while in that film I was let down by waiting for Luke Skywalker to return, I was not let down when Superman returned. When he joined the fight at the the final battle, you know, that was one of those moments where, you know, my heart, my heart stopped a little bit. There he was, finally being Superman. And I'll discuss more of the final battle in the uh, spoiler section, but I looked at him, and there was Superman, holding nothing back. That was Superman, as you've never seen him in this DCEU. Henry Cavill finally got the big Superman moments that we were hoping that he would finally get in this film. So that was good. Hey everybody, Mike here with just a quick editing note. I uh, talked quite a bit in the this opening segment here about how Justice League pulled in uh, 
domestic opening of $96 million, when actually that was an estimated uh, number when I recorded the episode on Sunday, November 19th. It actually only pulled in about $93 million in its opening weekend. Again, a disappointment, but I was initially going planning to get this episode out a week earlier than I did, so... I just want to update some of the box office numbers as of Tuesday and to kind of go along with some of my points. You know, Justice League did all right in its second week. It pulled in $41 million over its second weekend, the three-day from Friday the 24th to Monday the 26th. And it also did pretty well in, on Tuesday and Wednesday leading up to Thanksgiving, pulling into uh, pulling in about $10 million. So the film didn't do too badly in its second week. Obviously, it finished second to... Coco, which in its first weekend pulled in $72 million. So that did very well, and Justice League kind of uh, hung with it and continues to hang with it going into this week as Coco made $2.3 million and Justice League made $2.1. So the film's hanging. There's no reason to believe it won't get to $200 million. It's probably not going to match Thor Ragnarok numbers for sure, but I think this film can maybe limp, I don't know, maybe it can limp to two fifty if things fall well before... Star Wars comes out on the 15th of December. So I just wanted to point that out. Now I'm going to get back to the regular portion of the episode. And, you know, the new guys didn't disappoint either. I enjoyed uh, Jason Momoa's performance as Aquaman. I think I'd only seen him in one other thing before. That was Game of Thrones way back when. So it was nice to see him in a role where he speaks English in a language I can understand. I don't really understand Dothraki. Ezra Miller was the comic relief, basically, as The Flash. You know, he was a little more naive than everybody else, and he, you know, kind of stole the show. He had a, some dialogue, though, that made me wince a little bit. More on that later. And then, you know, Ray Fisher, you know, he did a good job as Cyborg. Cyborg is not a character that I'm particularly fond of seeing in the Justice League. I tend to associate him more with the Teen Titan, as that's where he's basically been until 2011 when Jeff Johns promoted him to the Justice League and displacing the Martian Manhunter. There were six Justice Leagues overall, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg. I know there's usually seven. The seventh was kind of alluded to. And then there was the villain, Steppenwolf. And he was voiced by Kieran Hines, also of uh, Game of Thrones fame. Steppenwolf was an interesting choice for the villain of this film. You know, he's not a particularly well-known DC Comics character. He's a part of the, uh, the fourth world created by Jack Kirby. For the uh, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen's comics. So he was created sometime in the 60s or 70s. He's Darkseid's uncle and one of his generals. But just not a character that gets used a lot. At least not currently. A lot of the stuff that from Apocalypse, which is his home planet, involves Darkseid. Obviously, he's the big bad of the DC Universe. Granny Goodness, you know, Darkseid's lackey Desad and kind of her female fury, and uh, Darkseid's son, Kalabak. That's a lot of what we see when Apocalypse is mentioned. Steppenwolf is not a character that's used very often, so it was surprising that he was chosen to be the villain, and he was not a great villain. He was just, you know, he was there to take over the world, do some damage, and fight the heroes. Not a great villain, you know. Not that these films have had great villains really going back, either on uh, the DC or the Marvel end. I'm more invested in DC, so I'll have more memory of the villains from there. They'll make a little bit more of an impression on me than a lot of Marvel ones will. But I mean, I thought General Zod was a good and complex villain for Man of Steel. You know, he he was one of those characters that was right in his own mind. He was justified in everything he did, according to him. So I thought he was a pretty good villain for that film. Your mileage may vary on Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, 
but a few people are going to forget him as the villain. In Suicide Squad, Enchantress was a very forgettable villain, and for as good as Wonder Woman was, Ares really wasn't that great of a villain either, you know? We spent most of that movie chasing around a real-life general who existed during World War I, and then Ares shows up at the end uh, as an old English dude. So, not really the kind of villain that stands out, I guess, is the best way to put it. He came out, delivered some exposition and some CGI soup, and that was basically it. Steppenwolf the same way. But in the, even in the most recent two films, the heroes are what stood out. Wonder Woman was a standout in her own film as well. She should have been. And the heroes played very well together in in this one. I thought all the characters were spot on. Batman was superhero Batman, really, for the first time we've ever seen on film. Wonder Woman continued to be to be great and i saw good things from the flash and and cyborg and my god superman was finally superman large and in charge as bob and i used to say about george reeves so again i like the film if i'm going to grade it maybe seven out of ten i know that was my initial grade for batman v superman when it came out but i think batman v superman gets lowered to either a five or a six suicide squad probably ends up with a four so i'm gonna take a quick break play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with my spoiler review of Justice League. Hang around, folks. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the league through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. All right, welcome back, folks. And uh, now this section is going to be my spoiler review of Justice League. So if you have not seen the movie yet, stop here. Come back after you've seen it. Okay, you've been warned. And I'm going to start with a uh, plot synopsis brought to you by Wikipedia. Thousands of years ago, Steppenwolf and his army of parademons attempt to conquer and remake Earth through the combined energies of the Mother Box. They are foiled by a unified army that included the Olympic Gods, Amazons, Atlanteans, Ancient Humans, and Green Lanterns. After repelling Steppenwolf's army, the Mother Boxes are separated and hidden in locations around the world. In the present, the death of Superman triggers the Mother Boxes to activate, resulting in Steppenwolf's return to Earth in an effort to regain favor with his master Darkseid. Steppenwolf manages to retrieve the Mother Box from Themyscira, prompting Queen Apollina to warn her daughter, Diana Prince, of Steppenwolf's return by lighting the invasion fire in the palace. Diana joins Bruce Wayne in his attempt to unite the other metahumans, with Wayne going after Arthur Curry. I believe there is a stranger who comes to this village from the sea. He comes in the winter when the people are hungry brings fish. He comes on the king tide. 
That was last night. If he is there, he will give this to us. Icebergs in the harbor. Four months since the last ship got through. Well, this stranger doesn't come by ship. There are enemies coming from far away. I need warriors. I'm building an alliance to defend ourselves. You should get out. Can you at least point me to Atlantis? Arthur Curry. Also known as Protector of the Oceans, the Aquaman. I hear you can talk to fish. Let me get this straight. You do a dress like a bat, like, a, like an actual bat. Worked for 20 years in Gotham. The fight comes, we'll need you. Don't count on a Batman. Why not? Because I don't like you coming here, digging into my business, getting into my life. People from Atlantis tell me do this, now you say do that. I want to be left alone. That way you help these people out here in the middle of nowhere, because you can just leave? I help them because no one else does. If you want to protect them, you need to work with me. Strong man as strong as alone. You ever heard that? That's not a saying. That's the opposite of what the saying is. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm wrong. You ever hear of Superman? He died fighting next to me. My point exactly. What's in the three boxes? It's ancient history. What, mankind's melting the polar ice caps, destroying the ecosystem. They got it coming. Hey, I don't mind if the oceans rise. How about if they boil? Dressed like a bat. You're out of your mind, Bruce Wayne. And Barry Allen. I know you have abilities. I just don't know what they are. My special skills include uh, viola, uh, web design, fluent in sign language, gorilla sign language. Silica-based quartz sand fabric, abrasion resistant, heat resistant. Uh, yeah, I do competitive ice dancing. It's what they use on the space shuttle to prevent it from burning up on re-entry. I do very competitive ice dancing. Whoever you're looking for, it's not. Batman. So you're fast. That feels like an oversimplification. I'm putting together a team. People with special abilities. You see, I believe enemies are coming. Stop right there. I'm in. You are? Yeah. I, I need friends. While Diana tries to locate Victor Stone, the two of them fail to persuade Curry and Stone, but manage to recruit an enthusiastic Alan onto the team. Stone later joins the group after his father Silas is kidnapped, along with several other Star Labs employees by Steppenwolf, who was looking for the box left with mankind. Meanwhile, Steppenwolf attacks Atlantis to retrieve the second mother box, forcing Curry to decide to take action. The team receives intel from Commissioner James Gordon. How many of you are there? Not enough. Eight people abducted from or near Star Labs. Here's the potential perp. Parademons. Okay. The demons must have caught the scent of another box. They carried people away to find out what they know. So the eight may still be alive. Nine. Oh. The head of Star Labs was taken as well. You made it. So then, 
There must be an S nearby. I plotted all the sightings in Metropolis, Gotham. No pattern, I can see. The lines on the map don't converge. On land. These lead back to Braxton Island, between the two cities. Gotham Harbor. These are air vents. They all lead down to the tunnel to Metropolis project that was abandoned in the 29. Do you really think that... Oh, wow, they just... They really just vanish. Huh? Oh. That's rude. Although the group manages to rescue the kidnapped employees, the facility is flooded during combat, which traps the team until Curry helps delay the flood so they can escape. Stone retrieves the last mother box, which he had hidden, for the group to analyze. Wayne decides to use the mother box to resurrect Superman, not only to help them fight Steppenwolf's army, but also restore hope in humanity. You've got a team here. Superman can bring this team together better than I ever could. His strength doesn't more... matter how strong you are or what abilities you might have. He's more human than I am. He lived in this world, fell in love, got a job, despite all that power, the world needs Superman. And the team needs Clark. Prince and Courier hesitant about the idea, but Wayne forms a secret contingency plan in case Superman returns as a nemesis. Clark Kent's body is exhumed and placed in the incubation waters of the Kryptonian ship alongside the Mother Box, which activates with Alan's help and successfully resurrects Superman. However, Superman's memories have not returned and he attacks the group after Stone accidentally launches a projectile at him. On the verge of being killed by Superman, Batman enacts his contingency plan, Lois Lane. Superman calms down and leaves Lois to his family home, where he reflects and tries to recover his memories. With the last mother box unguarded, Steppenwolf retrieves it with ease. Without Superman to aid them, the remaining five heroes travel to a village in Russia, where Steppenwolf plans to unite the boxes once again and reshape the world. The team fights their way through the parademons to reach Steppenwolf, although they are unable to distract him enough for Stone to separate the boxes. Superman arrives and assists Alan in evacuating the city, as well as Stone in separating the mother boxes. The united heroes manage to defeat Steppenwolf, who, overcome with fear, is attacked by his own parademons before they all teleport away. In the aftermath of the battle, Wayne decides to rebuild Wayne Manor as a base of operations for the team, and he and Diana agree that more heroes could join. Prince steps back into the public spotlight as a hero. Alan manages to to acquire a job in Central City's police department, impressing his father. Stone continues to explore and enhance his abilities with his father in Star Labs. Curry returns to Atlantis, and Clark resumes his role as Superman. In the mid-credits scene, Flash and Superman race to see who is the fastest, and in a post-credits scene, Lex Luthor has escaped from Arkham Asylum and recruits Slade Wilson to form their own league. Alright, so that is... The plot of the movie, based in a nutshell, is an accurate description. It doesn't exactly start with the uh, the ancient times. The, the uh, story of Steppenwolf and his first invasion of Earth is shown later on in the film, as Diana is explaining it to Bruce. But believe it or not, in in a film where he starts off as dead, the film starts with Henry Cavill as Superman. You know, it looked like he was fighting a fire or something, maybe at a school or something. You, re- you didn't really see much of what was behind him, but these. Two kids asked him, took a video interview of Superman, and they're asking him a couple questions, and he, they asked him what he liked about being a Superman. He didn't get an answer, but dear Lord in heaven, did Henry Cavill look weird. You, I could definitely tell this is one of the reshoots, one of the items that Joss Whedon added. You know, it was nice to see Superman, you know, talking to the kids, but oh my god, did Henry Cavill, you could tell that work was done digitally on Henry Cavill's face to remove the mustache. And there were a couple other scenes where, I'll admit, Henry Cavill was a little hard to look at. You know, one of those things I wish I could kind of go back in time and not know what happened 
and I wonder if I was ignorant of the mustache situation, if I would notice it. I mean, you know, I kind of felt like the same way last year with Rogue One. Had I not known that Peter Cushing was dead, would I have been fooled by the digital Grand Moff Tarkin? It's hard to know, but he does look weird in the scenes where they had to digitally animate the mustache off of his face. And that's really all I'm going to say about Superman's weird-looking face. You know, this movie is very easy to follow. It's a very uh, straightforward film. We, uh, immediately after that, we see Batman uh, fighting, uh, catching this criminal. He stole something, and uh, apparently he's tracking uh, Parademon, trying to, and he knows that they're drawn to fear somehow. So, and he kind of, he's chasing these symbols, these three boxes, which represent the three different mother boxes. So, it's good to see that, you know, Batman is still being Batman. He, some of the trailers refer to his dream, like the one he had in Batman v Superman, the nightmare sequence. But a lot of that is not really alluded to in this film. It's unclear if he's kind of following around the dream and or if he's just kind of following a pattern. So that's kind of unclear. But I will say this, the scene of the Flash going back in time where, you know, and like I mentioned before, I watched all the DCEU films before going to see Justice League. You still cannot convince me that the scene where Bruce saw the Flash coming from the future was real. After it ended, he woke up. So... I still think that was a dream. Lots of dreaming being done in Batman v Superman. Very little dreaming being done here. So, you know, the beginning is just kind of, you know, getting the band together, so to speak. Uh, Bruce is uh, kind of following around the Parademons, and we see Diana stopping a bombing in Paris. A very well-done scene, and one we've been seeing to death in commercials and trailers. We see what's going on a little bit with Martha Kent, and you can see that apparently the Kent Farm has been foreclosed on, so those of us who had seen the uh, the release clip with Lois and Martha kind of knew that it happened, but that gets a good resolution at the end, so. You know, the action in this movie was very good. I mean, the Amazons, again, you know, they kind of get the brunt of Steppenwolf's arrival. He arrives in Themyscira, of all places, and he, you know, a very good action sequence with all, those, with all the Amazons. Lots of acro- acrobatics, you know, dragging them. It's kind of funny watching them try to lasso and drag a mother box around, but, you know, Eventually, Steppenwolf does get the box, and that's kind of the first one of uh, that he picks up. And one of the things that's unclear after, especially after Wonder Woman, is what happened to Diana after the events in World War One. It's unclear whether she hung around in Man's World or if she went back to Themyscira. I'm thinking she hung around in Man's World. And after the attack on uh, Themyscira, they light the Temple of the Amazons, and one of the Amazons says to Hippolyta that humans won't know what to make of the uh, distress signal. But Hippolyta does not lose her faith in one in Diana, and she basically says she'll know, and she does. And she sees it on the news, and she knows that there's an invasion coming up. So I don't remember if she sought out Bruce or if Bruce uh, sought out her. But Bruce went after Arthur and Barry, and Diana goes after Victor Stone. And this film, the one complaint I do have about it is that it was forced into let's call it an artificial runtime. Apparently, Kevin Sushihara, the uh, CEO of Warner Brothers Pictures, I hope I said his name right, he wanted this film to come out at under two hours. <laughs> it clocks in at 119 minutes. So there was a lot cut that I don't necessarily think needed to be cut. There's a lot of little dialogue bits that I liked that weren't in the film, and a couple of them I'm going to mention right here. I'm not necessarily sure if anything was cut out from Bruce meeting uh, Arthur, but we did kind of know that Arthur would say no because there was a scene in a trailer where Wonder Woman basically said, they talked about Arthur Curry and uh, 
Bruce was not trying, not saying that. He said no. So they kind of go, kind of go back and forth a little bit. I'll play the clip. He said he'll fight with us. More or less. More, more, or more or less. Probably more or less. He said no. He said no. And we we knew also from the trailers that Barry would was going to join very uh, enthusiastically. And it was clear in the trailers that this took place after Bruce met with Arthur because in the trailers when Barry enthusiastically says yes. Bruce was like, just like that, which is nowhere in the film. I know where it would have been, but it wasn't there. So, and I'll get to other little bits of dialogue that were cut out. I'm very curious as to whether or not there's going to be an extended edition of this movie coming out on Blu-ray whenever this film hits Blu-ray. It normally takes about four months for these things to happen, so sometime around February, probably. So Diana tries to convince Victor, but, you know, I liked Victor's character here. You know, if anybody in this film is haunted at all, it's Victor, you know. And underst- understandably so. He's now more machine than man, and it's probably hard for him not to see himself as a monster. So they're really not doing too well in their recruitment drive. But the one thing I'm glad of this film is, and I'm going to upset the Marvelites here, what didn't work about the Avengers for me worked here, and that could be because I'm more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. It could just be that. <clears throat> but it felt like the Avengers was two-thirds of the heroes fighting and bickering and trying to one-up each other. And then... Because we needed something to fight at the end, the Shatari show up in in an invasion force. In this film, the disagreements when there were some, and we're going to get to the big one when we talk about the resurrection of Superman, come because of concern and differences of opinion, and, you know, in some cases, fears, rather than, you know, the heroes trying to one-up each other. So, but at first, the only one that really joins is the Flash. Victor will join after, his, like the synopsis mentioned, after... His father, Silas, is kidnapped by Steppenwolf, and Arthur will join up after Steppenwolf gets the second mother box from Atlantis. Let's talk a little bit about Atlantis now. We only saw it for a few minutes, and basically it was uh, a fight between Steppenwolf, Mira, who was played by Amber Heard, and a few other, you know, Atlantean guards. Not a very great fight, but, you know, enough for Steppenwolf to get the box and uh, fly away and leave with it. (laughs) And uh, this is where... You know, Mira kind of kicks Arthur in the ass and uh, sends him on his way to fight. Because his mother was protecting the box, now it's kind of his responsibility to go after it. So, we get a little bit a little bit about uh, Aquaman uh, and his thoughts on his mother. He doesn't. He says his mother kind of left him on his father's doorstep, which I believe is consistent with New 52 Aquaman. And if Jeff Johns uh, had any say in how Aquaman is, is presented in these films... That would track because Jeff Johns only recognizes Jeff Johns' work. So, Steppenwolf's got two boxes, and there's this huge battle sequence in an underground uh, facility on an island between Gotham and Metropolis. All the heroes fight Steppenwolf. The uh, the facility kind of gets flooded, you know, and we get that's where we get the awesome shot of uh, Aquaman stopping the water with his trident. But this is kind of the point where... <laughs> The team realizes that they're really not up to the task of defeating Steppenwolf, that they need at least one more member to do it. And this is where, you know, <clears throat> and I kind of knew when as soon as the minute I heard somebody, I think it was Cyborg, who said something about the Mother Box being one of the things it can do is uh, cellular regeneration. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, yep, this is how we're bringing Superman back. And I did like the uh, debate that took place between, you know, the team and the wisdom of kind of waking up a dead man. You know, Bruce is kind of... It's Bruce's idea, you know. He carried from uh, the end of BVS that whole I failed him in life, I won't fail him in, in death belief. And to Bruce, 
bringing Superman back is kind of a way to not fail Superman, I guess. And he just needs the, and they need the firepower. And he, all of a sudden, he seems to recognize, you know, Superman's uh, ability to restore hope in humanity. And there was the whole flap in the trailer about how about Bruce talking about how Superman was a beacon to the world, how he inspired hope. A lot of that quote was moved around for the trailer. You know, a lot of that, because that was something he was saying to Wonder Woman, and he was referring to her, too, a little bit. I think the bit about, like I said, you know, I've only seen the movie once and took no notes, so. He was talking to Wonder Woman at that point, and it's hard to remember the, and I've only seen it once, the way he was saying it, but he basically said that Superman was an inspiration to people and kind of challenged Wonder Woman as to why she wasn't, so. There's a little tit-tat-tat here with uh, Wonder Woman and Bruce and require ends up with Bruce taking a shot from Wonder Woman after uh, he t- he uh, kind of throws the death of Steve Trevor in her face. But everybody has valid concerns here. I mean, Bruce just wants to bring Bruce wants to bring Superman back and have him fight beside them, which was great. <clears throat> you know, Diana, you know, had the view of you know you don't really know what kind of forces you're messing with here. Let you know, let the man let the man still rest in peace. Arthur was concerned about, I guess, the state of Superman's soul. Apparently, possibly he believes, you know, that the soul leaves the, the body after death, which many people do. And if the body wakes up and the soul doesn't return, I guess uh, he's predicting that or saying that while the body could be alive, it wouldn't necessarily be Superman. And that's a valid concern, too. One of the things Bruce mentioned is that the body uh, didn't decay at all. I wonder if that has something to do with uh, Kryptonian, uh, his Kryptonian cells, I guess. <clears throat> and why regeneration wor- will work for Superman and not for Cyborg is because the human body can only take so much. It was postulated that Superman's stronger Kryptonian body could take it. So, this uh, they do vote on this, in a way. You know, obviously, Bruce, it's Bruce's idea he votes yes. I do believe Arthur and... Diana voted no, and I really like the uh, unsuredness <clears throat> in Barry. I mean, this was clearly Barry's first adventure as the Flash, despite what Suicide Squad kind of told us. And he's wrestling with it, but I guess he and Cyborg go away with it and give Batman the 3-2 vote. <laughs> as uh, Barry and Cyborg are the ones who have to dig up Clark's body, which is not at all creepy. And they brought him to the scout ship. One of the things I said at the end of Batman v Superman, when you're kind of kicking around the ideas of how Superman is going to be brought back to life, because you know Superman is going to be brought back to life. Characters can't stay dead. They kind of did the same thing with Superman's body that Luther did with Zod's in Batman v Superman. He throws it in the incubation waters. I had initially postulated that perhaps it would have been the Codex that Jor-El implanted into Clark, into Kal-El, the beginning of uh, Man of Steel would play some role in his resurrection, but it's not even mentioned here. And then another neat thing is that the uh, apparently Luther damaged the ship, creating Doomsday in BVS. So Barry had to give an electrical charge to the mother box through his through his speed to activate it, and the plan worked. One thing I did like is that even though they lost the vote, Arthur and Diana participated somewhat in the plan. So Barry hits the wakes up the mother box as soon as it hits the, the incubation waters, and suddenly Superman is alive. And his suit disappears, and the women in the theater are very happy to see the return of Superman's oil rig outfit for Man of Steel. Basically torn up pants and no shirt. So, this is definitely a Zack Snyder scene in my opinion. Nobody loves shirtless Henry Cavill more than Zack Snyder. So what follows next is a fight of basically Superman versus the League. 
And, and it's not because we have to see heroes fight. It happens because Superman wakes up and is disoriented. The synopsis says he doesn't have his memories yet, but maybe that's the case. And, you know, he's probably just disoriented from being woken up. I mean, he's kind of just working working on instinct and fighting on instinct. It's kind of like what ha- seems to happen when uh, somebody emerges from the Lazarus pit. They have the, that time period where they're out of control and insane. So this is really what that seemed like to me. And then, you know, it does seem, though, even though I mentioned that I thought the Flash visiting Bruce and Batman v Superman was a dream, he did remember that Lois Lane is the key. And even though we never really see Barry go back in time here, is this why Bruce was right to fear him? But either way, Superman does fight the League, you know, and kind of after the cyborg suit malfunctions. Cyborg isn't shown to have great control over his technology, and it attacks Superman as kind of an automatic defense. So that's really what triggers the fight, and not so much the uh, disorientated Superman. But a fight ensues, and Batman, Superman kind of throws the League around. Wonder Woman calls him Kal-El at one point. Which, she tends to be one of the few members of the Justice League that does call him that. Most of the League who knows his identity refer to him as Clark, but she's really the only one who seems to consistently call him Cal. And one thing I do hope to see in future installments, if there are future installments with the uh, with the current box office, I hope there are. You know, we finally got the characters where I want them to be, and I hate to think that we're in danger of not getting any more movies. But I would love to see the relationship between Wonder Woman and Superman explored. You know, I don't want to see them investigate a romantic relationship between the two, but in every com- in all the comics I've read during the post-crisis and whatnot, they were always very close. You know, they were good friends and confidants, so I would like to see that relationship develop between Superman and Wonder Woman, but just no romance. That's reserved for Lois Lane. And Lois was the key, and I like that Batman remembered that and brought Lois to kind of calm Superman down. Freaking seeing Lois would bring Superman out of whatever fog he was in post-death and post-resurrection. And I'm going to take a minute here to talk about a little bit about Lois Lane. I'm not so much of a big fan of how Lois uh, handled Superman's absence, or death, rather, that she seemed to just kind of retreat from, you know, the hard-hitting investigative reporter and just went to fluff pieces. And I guess I can see her doing that for a short time, but it just seems like it's been months. But I guess she lost hope, too, I guess. So... And there was a, during this fight though, there was a fun callback to the do you bleed moment from uh, Batman v Superman where Superman is holding Batman up by his neck and says, do you bleed? He throws Batman to the ground and Batman's like, oh yep, something's definitely bleeding. Which seems like more of that Joss Whedon dialogue. So I really liked that. You know, I thought the return of Superman was awful quick, but this movie did does keep, keep on moving. And Superman will fly Lois do the Ken farm, and that's home. Some of Superman's dialogue in this movie was just weird. You know, I guess Lois is by extension, too. The first thing they think of when they get to the farm is, she says, you smell good. And I loved his response asking, you know, did I not before? But I wonder why that seemed to be the first thing on her mind, that maybe did she expect him to feel, maybe she expected him to uh, smell a little musty after being in the, in the ground for however many months it was, but I don't know. And then his explanation for how death felt, Itchy. I didn't quite get that either. But again, this scene was missing some dialogue. You know, she comes out of the house. He's standing out there in the field in his red flannel, very reminiscent of Superman in the movie. And he looks at, sees the ring on her finger, and she says, "I'll take that as a yes." What? The ring. Yeah, what she said that in the trailer, but it's not in the movie. Why was that not in the movie? And 
I want to take some credit for being right here. Everybody was swearing up and down that that was a dream sequence. Yes, the trailer was cut to make it look like a dream sequence. But we all already knew that she woke up. The scene where she woke up was way earlier in the film. And I had a feeling that that scene in the field was not a dream. And I feel very happy to know that I was not wrong. Two of the moments that made me a little teary-eyed was when Lois talked him down at Heroes Park to stop him from uh, strangling Batman, even though Batman probably deserved it. My one complaint, though, about that is Lois is calling him Clark in far too many, uh, in front of far too many people. Let's just say that. And I really love the moment where Martha drove up and embraced her son, who was back from the dead in the cornfield. Two great scenes that really tugged at the heartstrings, you know. I would have liked to have seen more of Clark reacquainting himself with his life, but hopefully there'll be another Superman movie and we'll see him settle back into his life. But one thing I wish they didn't do was, you know, Lois says she has to send him away, and Clark says, yeah, I guess I owe him one, which tells you that he's going to go back. Maybe there could have been a little bit more mystery. You know, obviously you know he's going to go back because he's Superman, but did you have to say it flat out? I would have liked to have held that mystery a little bit longer. So uh, the the final battle takes place in Russia, in an out-of-the-way town where you can't destroy a large city. And there's this family that we've been kind of following around throughout the whole movie, and seeing them for a few minutes is kind of paid off in the final battle when they're rescued. So the heroes go to fight Steppenwolf. You know, Superman is a no-show at first, and they fight through the parademons. They reach Steppenwolf, and uh, Cyborg can't separate the boxes, and I love the moment where Superman arrives. You know, they're just about beaten, you know. They can't do it without him, and then, then he says something about, you know, about believing in truth. I don't remember what his exact words were, but you hear Henry Cavill's voice, I believe in truth. And then he says something, too, about being, I'm also a big fan of justice, and he just decked Steppenwolf, and Superman showed power in this film this is a is a superman that's not to be messed with as good as the justice league series was in the 90s and 2000 early 2000s one of the things that it constantly did that annoyed the hell out of me was it found a way to remove superman from the equation so the lesser powered heroes could save the day what i liked about this movie is that they formed the league because they didn't have superman they were trying to fill that void and because the world was going to crap, even more so than it was when Superman was alive. But they couldn't do it without him. It took Superman to turn the tide of the battle against Steppenwolf, and it took Superman to separate the mother boxes. And that goes to show, you can't do this without Superman. They're all great heroes in their own right, but when the chips are down, you want Superman on your side, and you need Superman on your side. And his suit was blue, it was you know, still no trunks, but it was blue and all blue and red in all its glory. Still wish the trunks would come back, but I've made my peace with the fact that they're not. During the battle, Superman hears civilians, and uh, he he and Barry rescue the civilians, which I also believe is a shot at Man of Steel, where Superman paid no never mind to civilians during his fight with Zod. Although I will also contend that during the Man of Steel battle, he really couldn't help any civilians because Zod would have probably wrecked a whole bunch of more while he was gone. But they do save the civilians. And there's this great moment. I know, I, I laugh when this happened. The Flash rescued that family that we've been following throughout the whole movie. And he just kind of pushes that truck out of the way. But meanwhile, Superman is one-upping him by flying a building away. Just a great moment. 
I think I might have been the only one in my theater, in the theater who laughed, but I always love watching Superman one-up the other heroes, just because he's Superman. Yep, the Flash, you know, he, he did well. He you know, rescued his little pickup truck. Superman is carrying half the village in a building. Great stuff. And then there's the final fight. There's not much to say about the final fight. It's, you know, the usual CGI soup. And Steppenwolf was eventually kind of sent away in an interesting way is that he's suddenly afraid of the heroes. And then therefore the parademons who sense fear, I guess, or feed on it, they attack him and they're all teleport away. And then after they're all gone, there's this great hero shot of the six heroes standing up on the ledge looking down. Great hero shot. Superman is large and in charge in that. You know, it was a great moment to be a Superman fan. I was, I'm not the most, uh demonstrative person in the world but you know i was really enjoying that you know it was we all said during the during wonder woman that scene in the bell tower after the battle in veld where she stands up at the uh in the tower all we were all screaming give him well chris franklin on the fire and water network screamed out give henry cavill that moment and i'm glad to see that henry cavill finally did get that moment and it was just great to see him finally uh play the superman that we've all wanted him to be so and then there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of bookkeeping at the end as the movie kind of winds down. Bruce Wayne is going to uh, turn Wayne Manor into the Justice League base. I personally would have settled for a train station in Cincinnati, but you know, to each their own. And they're going to agree to more heroes could join. There's still uh, one slot open, but Diana's going to step back into the spotlight and be Wonder Woman. Barry gets a job at Central City as a CSI, which sets him in position for whatever Flash movies there might be. I'm kind of lukewarm to the idea of a Flash movie, just because of the Flash TV show. I really don't want to don't want to see the, uh, the movie tread the same ground that the TV show already has. Maybe a Flash movie could do something that uh, the show dropped the ball on, like, say, The Rogues. There's talk about Flashpoint, but who knows. If you do Flashpoint, you can kind of uh, do a soft reboot of the universe, and that kind of gives... Uh, Ben Affleck the out if he's looking to get out of playing Batman. I mean, one of the mistakes DCEU made with Batman was making him so much older than everybody else. You know, his story's already been told. What's left to tell? Cyborg is going to continue to uh, improve himself. And there's always been rumors that Cyborg is going to get a movie, but I really have no interest in a Cyborg movie. And Arthur goes back to Atlantis, where we're going to find him in next year's Aquaman movie, which, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to. I like Aquaman, despite the damage that Filmation has done to him with that image of him riding the dolphin jet skis. And interestingly enough, we saw Clark Kent. Although there's been no indication of how that's going to happen, as Clark was uh, dead and buried and had a funeral with his body in the coffin. I don't know how they're going to explain that one. And I hope they have a future Superman movie to explain that in. I'd love to see more Superman. Especially now that Henry Cavill is where we need to be. You know, even though this film's not doing so great at the box office, maybe it's time for WB to go a little bit smaller and have the heroes do solo movies for a little bit. And you know what? Intersect them occasionally for a Justice League film. You know, the one thing Marvel is doing is that just everything is so connected that you have to almost see every movie to get the plot line. One of the things I really enjoyed about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was that it wasn't at all beholden to the main MCU storyline. It was just kind of often in a corner on its own. It didn't require, and I like the fact that it doesn't need to be interconnected plot lines throughout all of the movies. I mean, think about it this way. Think of you and six of your friends. You all do your own things. You have your own lives. But at certain points, you intersect. And you do whatever you need to do. And then you go off again. And then you intersect. Blah, 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 and so on and so forth. You know, it could just be something as simple as Darkseid's attacking. Roll Call Justice League. But it's hard to... There have been no announcements about what's coming next other than uh, Aquaman, Shazam, and... I hope these movies continue to do well. 
I'd hate to see Warner Brothers give up on these characters just because, you know, that people didn't like the Zack Snyder stuff. And and I really believe that this was a state the box office of this film was a statement on Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Maybe good word of mouth will save it. I'm not holding out any hope because it's a stiff competition in the upcoming weeks. Alright, so and then we get a couple of post credit scenes. One of the mid credit scenes involves Flash and Superman racing to see who was the fastest. That's always cool to see. And then we get a post-credit scene where Lex Luthor has escaped from Arkham and Slade Wilson and he have seemed to be, they're going to Deathstroke, the character that we see on Arrow on a case, starring Joe Mangiello, and they maybe form their own Injustice Gang or Legion of Doom. I really want to see that. And Jesse Eisenberg finally looked reined in, you know, looked like Lex Luthor. You know, yeah, he still mentioned, referred to Superman as God, but okay, fine, that consistency of character from Batman v Superman and but damn Joe Mangiello looked damn good as Slade Wilson the white with the silver hair and the silver goatee looks far more like Slade Wilson than Manu Bedit does on Arrow but like I said I really like this movie and I hope this isn't the end and I know we're gonna get Wonder Woman 2 and the Batman and I want more Superman I want a Man of Steel 2 so to speak even though I know it won't be called that Brainiac is still out there folks we need to see a Brainiac story and with Jeff Johns kind of writing hurt on these films he wrote one of the best Brainiac stories I ever read, so come on, Jeff. Brainiac. So, that's pretty much all I've got. If you have any thoughts on Justice League or the future of the DCEU, feel free to email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. Feedback is always welcome. You can find the show over on Facebook. Just put the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at manofscreencast. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. podcast is produced by Mike Zumo and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com If you shop at Amazon.com please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast. You didn't think that was the end of the episode, did you? There were actually a couple of things I uh, wanted to mention that I forgot to uh, put into the main body of the show, and there was just no way to go back and shoehorn it in. One of the issues was that at the end of the film, I had mentioned at the beginning we saw that the uh, Kent farm was foreclosed upon, and that there was, the, and that Martha Kent had lost the farm to foreclosure. At the end, uh, there's a scene where you see stuff being of the Martha's being loaded back into the Ken farm, and it's revealed that it has been restored to the Kents and uh, is no longer in foreclosure. And when Clark asks Bruce how he did that, how he convinced the bank to let go of the farm, he basically said he bought the bank, which I guess is supposed to be a joke to uh, point out how stupid rich Bruce is, but 
In actuality, he probably wouldn't have to go so far as to buy the bank in order to get a foreclosed property. He could have just paid the bank whatever whatever it wanted for the property and purchased it himself. He didn't have to purchase the whole bank. I'm sure just the uh, whatever was due on the existing mortgage would have done. The bank would have happily turned uh, turned it over to him because banks don't want that. So there's that. I just wanted to point that out that. Bruce buying the bank was completely unnecessary. And secondly, and I can't believe I forgot to mention this during the main part of the show, it was one of the one things I left thrilled about when I left the movie. We finally got a shirt rip. You know, Zack Snyder kind of teased us in Batman v Superman. We thought we'd get one before he left for the fire in Mexico, I believe it was. But nope, this time we get it at the end of the film. One of the final moments is Clark Kent walking down the street, going into an alley and opening his shirt to reveal a Superman costume beneath. And I loved seeing a shirt rip that we finally got one. I have a feeling this came courtesy of Joss Whedon. I really don't care. We got our shirt rip. It does beg a few questions, though, like how they're going to deal with Clark Kent's uh, return to life as he was dead and buried at the end of Batman v Superman. But that I guess that's a question to be answered another time in hopefully a Man of Steel sequel or Superman sequel. I'm not necessarily going to sit here and call it Man of Steel 2. But, so, you know, those are two things that I wanted to point out before I go. So, see you next time, folks. Bye.